Alternative or traditional? We hear those words often, but which one is superior? Join in for this critical conversation. Welcome to Owl Pellets, Tips for Ag Teachers Podcast. We share research-based tips and tackle the tough questions facing agriculture teachers every day. The Owl Pellets crew is Kate Shoulders from the University of Arkansas, Marshall Baker from North Carolina State University, Mike Ritalik from Iowa State University, and me, Brian Myers from the University of Florida. We are your agricultural education resource across the web. Well, hello, Owl Pellet Nation. Teachers, I hope things are going well. Today, we are having a conversation that is near and dear to your heart. We have a shortage of ag teachers, and all of us know we're sitting here in the Casa de Kate. We are. We're fine. Like, this is the first time ever I think we've done a podcast from a living room. Yeah. It's awesome. So we're here on a in a, like, nice big furry rug and a comfortable couch, and it's much more comfortable than a boring old conference room. So far. Yeah. So, Kinda, we, can, we can fix that. We need, yeah. to, <laughs> we need to make this really exciting or I'm going to just like take a nap over here. You're, you're setting high expectations. I know. I know. Um, today, the, the conversation, this critical conversation is around a topic that we do all care deeply about. Um, ag education has fundamentally changed all of our lives in, in the stages that we are in. Ag education uh, we, we believe in it strongly, but it, we need teachers. And so when we look at the current shortage of teachers and you look at the funding issues that have been going on and you look at all of that, I, the provocative kind of question that I'm thinking is, are we going about teacher certification or, or recruiting and training teachers in the wrong way? And here's my rationale. We know that people, fewer teachers are coming from farms. Mm -hmm. So fewer people have expertise in actual agriculture as, you know, society changes. We also know that we have um, a shortage of teachers and we know and believe strongly that the art and science of teaching is important. So should we, should we be going after people that are in industry and then just teach them how to teach so they bring that rich expertise. Um, should we? Is the teacher preparation model we currently use the right model? How do we best prepare teachers to, to be ready um, in the classroom? So that's the conversation the four of us will have today. Um, I think there's some certainly some benefit, right? Like they, if you work with teachers that are getting alternatively, I'm assuming you're talking alternatively certified, not necessarily like non-traditional students in a traditional teacher certification program? Yeah, I think that's a good question, too, to set kind of the context of. So in North Carolina, I am going out on student-teacher visits, and I'm visiting a teacher that has gone through NC State in the very traditional path. That's one of my student-teachers that I'm visiting. The other student-teacher that I'm visiting is involved in a uh, program called the LEAP program, and it's in... Its goal is to bring lateral entry teachers from industry into a classroom as a paid teacher. And during their first and second year of teaching, we augment their experience by teaching them about teaching. So I'm visiting two students, one that is traditionally certified and one that is entering lateral entry. And the aha for me is I'm seeing 
some benefits and some drawbacks to both. Um, but the lateral entry really, I mean, is doing a phenomenal job and impacting kids' lives right now in a classroom. Yeah, so for me, I think it's important to, to think about this and um, realize that it doesn't happen um, organically. We've got to be well-intended when we're working with those lateral, lateral entry teachers. And I think even from an onboarding standpoint, student teaching and preparation, um, they need a professional development and a, and a support system that's different than maybe what we traditionally do with our, our traditional programs. Yeah. Hmm. Well, from a research standpoint, you know, that's trying to think of like, what do we know from research that helps us understand this? And I, the one thing I keep drawn to is um, two researchers, their names are, are, their last names are Kohler and Mishra in 2010, created a model um, called the Technological Pedagogical Content Knowledge. They, they call it TPAC. And that's a way too big of a name for anyone that wants to remember it. <laughs> but basically, it's the three-circle model. So you think about ag education. It's the same thing. It's three circles that overlap, and in the middle is this amazing sweet spot. And the three factors that they say um, need to be present for really great teaching is, number one, technological content. They call that TK. So you have to know... Um, that element. The second is pedagogical knowledge, which pedagogy is such a fun word. So like when you're home and your parents think you don't have a cool job, you can be like, I'm a, I'm studying pedagogy. So <laughs> teachers out there, that's like a $10 word, word you can yeah. use. Like, what do you do for a living? I'm a pedagogical scientist, <laughs> <laughs> but pedagogy is just the science of teaching. And so you've got to know how to teach methods, skills, behaviors. You've got to have technological knowledge. And the third is you have to have content knowledge. So if, if you do not have expertise in what you are teaching about, which felt like half of my ag teaching career, or maybe all of it, um, <laughs> you know, I was always struggling to like bone up on, I was about to teach uh, nutrition and I'd have to like bone up on that because I'm not an expert in nutrition. So the research here is, is showing this three-circle model where if you know your stuff, if you know your stuff about ag, if you have technological competence to run the things that you have in your labs, in your school, and if you know how to teach, those three things together yield good teaching. So a couple of things. Number one, did you know, this is a little off topic, but did you know that Tony Danza did this? Did what? Yeah, he went. Yeah, I remember that now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so he was obviously an actor for um, most of his career, but then he, in 2012, no, sorry, in 2009, he left Hollywood and went to Philadelphia to teach high school. So he had a degree in, uh, I think, history education before he, like as an undergrad, before he became an actor. And um, he wrote a book after it, called I'd like to apologize to every teacher I ever had. Um, but what he's really getting at is that educators, that notion that like society thinks educators don't work hard and are incompetent. So he was able to kind of shed some general consumer, like general population spotlight on the fact that you do have these teachers that come in from anywhere, right? Like beginning teachers, regardless of their stages. And it's a tough job. But I used to think 
that it would be easier for someone that was making more of a lateral entry move because as a young teacher, I think there are some challenges there. I have the same thing, right? Interns come out and some of them, you know, I go to observe them and they are, they look like the students, right? They're so young. And then others I've got, I had one last year that was um, in his probably mid forties to maybe 50. And the, it completely changed. So young guy. Uh, <laughs> yep. Uh-huh. Yep. Spring chicken. And you guys um, didn't see this, but as Brian described this older gentleman, Brian just he just kind of you know you could see him just kind of deflate. Yeah. Yeah. The senior citizen. Mm-hmm. Ouch. So, um, you know, you watched the like the thing the the issues that he had in the classroom were so different than the issues that the beginning teachers had. He did not have to deal with any kind of concern about respect or, you know, like those aspects of classroom management and pedagogy, he had none. The difference was, though, that he had these great challenges that within like how students learn and how to teach, um, the younger interns automatically had like more of a connection with the students as far as rapport, whereas he had to build that because they viewed him as a little bit more out of touch and a little bit more distant from them. So he had a harder time relationship building but had no trouble with classroom management. Whereas the younger teachers, the things they needed to know regarding, like if you're talking about that, those, that model, like within pedagogical, like the pedagogical knowledge, the things they had to know and the things they struggled with were really different. And I think a lot of that was based on aspects that were because one of them was lateral entry and the others were not. Well, I think with all these, we're talking about there's, there, you know, there is no maybe perfect way to do this. And every, everyone comes out with maybe strengths and weaknesses depending on how they were prepared to teach or, unfortunately, some people lack of being prepared to, to teach to do that. But I think the other, the other piece of this equation is what the ag program or the school-based program that they're teaching in, what, what they look like and what they do. Because I know in, probably your stage is the same way, but in Florida – our ag teachers have very different experiences on a day-to-day with what they do based on the school that they are in. Because we have some teachers that are this generalist. So they're going to they're gonna be teaching animal science one period, ag mechanics the next, mm-hmm. horticulture the next period, this sort of thing. And then we have other teachers who all day long, all they teach is vet assisting. Isn't there a state that does that where like all their teachers are like that, where they're specialized? Like... Ohio think, or Illinois. Yeah, I think Ohio has, they have special different certificates maybe. So I remember hearing that. Yeah. See, Illinois, we had, and we had, when I taught in Illinois, we had one certificate. Same way in Florida, we have, the, it's the same teaching certificate for all those things. But you go back and because the lateral entry folks, when they come in, they're going to have that stronger content knowledge at the beginning. So a lot of times they think that, you know, going into these programs where I'm going to teach horticulture all day long. Yeah. I spent 10 years in the horticulture industry, right. and now I'm going to go teach that all day long. Mm-hmm. And again, anecdotally looking from there, those folks tend to be more successful. Where the, where the research does say a lot of times those folks will stay in the career longer. Where other lateral entry folks, they have a, they have a, a much higher rate of turnover in there. But I think a lot of that may go into if I spent... 10 years in the horticulture industry, I know horticulture very, very well. But if I'm in a small school like where I taught, where I'm having to teach ag business one yeah. period, animal science the next, I'm really, really going to struggle in those things that aren't necessarily the content possibly to do that. I don't know, though. I mean, I don't think the two classes that is required of a bachelor's degree really sets students 
that drastically apart from someone who has life experience well, this, in any topic. It's interesting because this study um, was, uh, it was a study by Grady Roberts and Jim Dyer when they were at the University of Florida. And it basically just looked at the in-service needs of people that were traditionally or alternatively certified. Mm -hmm. And they just found basically that the traditionally certified standard old go through university teachers had 58% more needs Mm -hmm. for in-service. And so they do, you know, in their research, they do say maybe that's because alternatively certified teachers didn't know what they needed yet, but they, they very clearly showed that there were still deficits in traditionally trained teachers. There were still deficits with alternatively trained teachers. And I think the interesting thing is so often we end up having this, you know, sometimes you'll hear, I was a principal, right? So as a principal, I would see an application and I had kind of had an unconscious bias sometimes to say traditionally certified. And we can get into that mode where it's like, uh, I went through this experience and you should too, you know, like very, yeah. Like hazing in a thing, right? If I had to do it, you have to do it too. I would find myself as a principal sometimes, um, having that bias. But I think in an, in an age where we don't have enough qualified teachers and we have people from industry that are passionate and desiring to be a part, I think we've got to change that dialogue, especially when you look at research because as a principal, there were traditionally certified teachers that were great and those that had needs. And there were alternatively certified teachers, some that were great and some that needed development. So I don't know. I think changing that narrative and looking at the TPAC model, everyone comes in with a different volume in each of the three buckets. You know, like yeah. I may be really great in pedagogical skills. I might really be great at leading class, but my expertise would be low. So I think then instead of picking one or the other, then it kind of becomes how do teachers, you know, professional identity see themselves as needing to always be working on filling the buckets that are lacking. Yeah. Yeah, One of the, one of the things that I keep going back to is with with alternatively certified teachers is that that thought about it, and I, I'm going to use the analogy of coaching. You know, uh, great teachers make it look easy, um, and then if you look at coaching, you know, you sit along the sidelines, you think, okay, I could go do that. But coaching is a lot harder than what you what you think it is. And I think for our traditionally prepared students, we have the opportunity to work closely with them over time, if and they get a sense of what it's going to feel like in the classroom. And they get a chance to um, um, experience that a little bit. And we have the chance to kind of coach and mentor them maybe in, either into the profession or out of the profession. And for some of these um, alternatively certified teachers, they're not going to know until they get in the class, classroom. They're going to sign a contract. They're going to get a little bit of that professional development and figure out what that art and science of teaching is. But ultimately, mm. experiment um, in the classroom to find out whether they're going to be good at it or realize that, hey, I had some I had some teachers that made it look a lot easier for me. Well, I think as, as part of the two is that understanding of, of the whole teaching profession because you are expected to be on your game day one when the first when the fir- first bell rings to do this. You know, at at our place now when we onboard somebody, say somebody in 
you know, administrative support or something. We'll say, we're going to start you doing these things first. And after a couple of weeks, you get comfortable with that. We're going to do a few more things for you to do. And then we're, until we get you up to your full kind of, uh, you, you know, task. We don't do that with teachers. You don't walk in the first week, just teach the first two year classes. And then we'll, you'll, you'll teach the rest of them, you know, the rest of the time. They got to be on that first go. And so I think there's some advantages, again, hopefully because of our jobs, we hope there's advantages to, to teacher prep. I think there's a third group of teachers, though, that are, that are in here because you've got you know, your folks that go through our traditional teacher certification programs, industry people that come into teaching, but you also have folks that maybe got started in some subject other than agriculture and are now teaching agriculture. And then a lot of those folks were certified as science teachers and got into to, you know, teaching science and then moved over to agriculture for whatever reason. And I think um, those, those individuals have even different needs to go in there because they understand, you know, the teaching of, of science or reading or whatever they whatever they were teaching. Now moving into the agriculture thing and trying to learn the rest of it, and I think a lot of times we're seeing. I think I think it was in that same study that you that you mentioned, Marshall. If not, there was another one that that they did that showed that one of their biggest needs was was the FFA. Mm-hmm. Because That's what I was going to say. And for SAE, both of those, right? Yeah, for both of those groups, right? For the teachers you're talking about, and for the those that are coming in from industry, like, I think there's a lot of stuff you can pick up, right? Like if you do an alternatively certified program, but it still does not help you at all with SAE and FFA. And we know from our long talks about the three circle model that those pieces are a valuable, they add certain value. And we all know programs where, and I don't know about for you all, but this is how the conversation goes, right? Like uh, they don't actually, like the teacher doesn't know anything about FFA because they're from industry or they were a science mm-hmm. teacher and so it's like almost if you end up as a if you're at a multi-teacher program and you end up co-teaching with someone who is like half science half ag and doesn't know that like and is primarily a science teacher it's viewed as a detriment because they are not caught up to speed on the that three circle model that the traditional ag ed program teaches you okay throw this out there The new future model of preparing teachers in ag education is get a four-year bachelor's of science in an ag ag topic, like in animal science, plant science, horticultural science, and then we as ag ed departments provide a plus one master's. That's what we do here. But like, why not that? Why not that? Why is that not the future model? So they do that in Arkansas with every subject except ag, art, music, and maybe PE. Um, and we have all like like one at a time seceded from that what they call the uh, MAT. It's the Masters of Arts in Teaching, um, and it is they get a four year degree in a thing, and then they have a year of internship. And that's where they get their classes, and then by the end they have a master's degree and a teaching certificate. And a teaching certificate. So the teaching certificate comes. It's like to me, you look at the TPAC model, and it's like the pedagogy. The, the, you start with the content expertise, so you fill that circle up. Yeah. And then when you have that expertise, then you throw on just a plus one to build the pedagogical content. And I would even argue, just for the fun of the critical conversation, I have lots of, you know, these aren't necessarily my opinions, but mm-hmm. could it be, I remember when I was under a certain uh, Brian Myers at University of Florida and he was teaching there were so many things I was being told that I didn't have context for or I didn't have a felt need for. So but what if that, lot, huh? yeah, that plus, well, yeah, 
that plus one year could be in the classroom in a job where we're supporting in their context when things are real. Yeah, but here's the problem. Like, right, we seceded from that because you've got four certifying institutions. And if I'm a student and I can either go out and make money in four years or, or have to spend an additional year of schooling, you know, like of tuition and then lose that, you know, the opportunity cost of that additional year of salary, I'm going to go to one of the programs that's a four-year. Yeah, so I, I think some of those issues go beyond what the research tells us about uh, what's what's good training and yeah, development for practicality. teachers. And we run into some of those real-life issues, and that's certainly the case. I, we have um, a master's level um, teacher certification as well as our uh, traditional four-year program and it's it's fun to watch students find that master's certification program because they're in animal science they're in ag business or they were in animal science because they were going to go to vet school and okay Mm -hmm. i've I've decided that vet school is not the route now now i'm going to do what i really wanted to do Mm -hmm. or what where my love is and i want to teach so those students finish that animal science degree come over and and spend two years with us working on a master's getting certified and in, in, in that there's some real richness in that because they've kind of tested the waters in other areas and figured out that that's where their their passion and interests lie and then they can move on to um, and, and really focus and do a great job as as a teacher and, and and some of those students are probably our better teachers in the field do you think though that that's more um, about the motivation aspect like what you were saying I, I looked very seriously down this career path, and now I'm, I know I want to do this one because I'm choosing it, not because, like, mom told me I got to go to college and this is going to be the degree yeah. I get, and I never really questioned it a second time. I think it is. I think they've had the chance to be a little bit more self-reflective and, and yeah. know that that's where their passion and interests lie, and, and for those reasons, they're heading that direction. Yeah. Well, and that's been, that model's been around for a while. I mean, there was actually a movement to move all teacher ed programs yeah. to, to five-year programs yeah. um, to do that. And a lot of, some programs didn't move and other ones did. And, you know, we're the same way at Florida. In our College of Education, uh, all the secondary programs, except for ag, art, and music, um, are certified only at the master's level to do that. Um, and we're one of the few that still certified the bachelor's level. But, you know, part of that issue, too, though, you go back is, okay, it, it makes it harder. Even if, even if you don't have, even if everybody did it, we're already a shortage of teachers, so we're going to make it harder to get into the teaching profession right. anyway to do it. But then it does also provide the option for folks that are maybe they're they're into their junior or maybe even early in their senior year, and they're a science major or they're a horticulture major, or whatever else, and then they learn about teaching. We talk about ag ed being a, a discovered degree sometimes. Was too late for them to switch. They're not going mm-hmm. to switch and, and add two more years to their bachelor's degree program. But having a master's degree mm-hmm. and certifying the master level is a way to do it. We, we do the same thing. We had that program available, and really without much advertising, we'll have anywhere from two to five or six people in that program all the yeah. time because, they again, some of the animal science folks found out the vet school is not for them or they or – they, they, well, I can teach about this, and this is where a lot of these – uh, vet assisting teachers are coming from, they're like, oh, wait a minute, I can teach about this stuff and it did, rather than to go be the vet, whatever else. And so they find that passion um, to do that. Okay. So with all that in mind and that, that conversation, let's turn that toward, you know, the research has told us, this, this research article tells us that the traditionally certified teachers actually reported more needs mm-hmm. than alternatively certified. The traditional teachers um, needed support 
in um, some of the scientific elements of ag. Alternatively certified required, they wanted help in agricultural mechanics, plant sciences, and animal sciences. And some of the conclusion was that could be because they had a very focused degree in one area and they didn't get the interdisciplinary approach. Mm-hmm. And so let's, let's, as we land this conversation, what does this, I'm a teacher in a classroom, as we talk about how do we fill the three buckets of technology, content, and pedagogy? What is the takeaway for teachers around this topic? Well, for me, it's, it's for individual teachers. One is to be kind of more self-aware and self-reflective about okay, what, what are my areas of growth that I need to, so that I know where it is rather than just do whatever the state association happens to be offering at a conference that year. Be part of that. The other thing I think this really speaks to the teacher leaders out there who are part of those state associations to understand, be intentional about the professional development that we have out there and making sure you're having something to meet the variety of needs and not fall into this trap of, I, I got certified this particular way and here are my needs, so everybody else must need the same thing. There's a, there's a variety of needs in there. And I think the other piece is that we have to, when we look at teacher preparation, it's not just, here's your certificate, you're ready to go for life as a teacher. It is a continual professional development model to, to find all that. So we have to look at as teacher preparation and at the university levels, we have, to, we have to view teacher prep more than just the, the four years for the bachelor's degree. We have to look at it as a, as a career about there being, you know, serving the teachers. I love how every conversation we have steers right back to teachers needing to be professionals, like really validating my research line. Thanks. It's all about you, Kate. I yep. really appreciate it. Um, so for the teachers, I would say um, as a teacher, I don't think I, I, I never framed myself as like, I never categorized my needs for growing and developing as a teacher. And so I think thinking about how good are you at running the technological components of your classroom? And I think for an ag teacher, that is, that could be unique, right? Mm -hmm. Running a greenhouse is not easy. I mean, there's all kinds of elements to that. Um, Some teachers are running these aquaponics centers. So there's that element. And then are you a subject expert in what you're going to teach tomorrow. And that doesn't mean, are you a subject expert in all things, but are you finding ways to fill that, that other component? And then pedagogy, do you have good, you know, research-based strategies that you, that, that you can employ in the classroom? And, And so I think for me, looking at that, this alternative or traditional, um, I'm just glad they're in the classroom. Yep. And I think that, Everyone comes, every teacher comes with a uniquely different set of needs. I think that's important in this conversation. Like if you're listening to this podcast and you're traditionally certified, be proud of that and know that that comes with certain buckets being filled, but also be aware that that also could come with some deficits. And that those deficits could be filled by um, meeting up with alternatively certified teachers who are who don't have those deficits. I mean, there's a major give and take there that can Mm. happen as opposed to being like they were certified the other way. So they can't add any value whatsoever to what I do. It's really a, you know, like, wow, they, they probably, cause you know what? I went and visited, Oh, maybe 15 teachers early in the spring and they all talked to my interns and there wasn't a single one. They were all like, uh, years four and onward. Mm. And there wasn't a single one that said, yeah, I got this new technology or this new greenhouse. I got this new facility um, and, you know, this new piece of equipment. 
And I, I learned how to use that for my undergrad classes, right? right? Like they're all doing industry-based PD in order to, to operate any of the technology that they have. So I think, you know, your undergrad classes, they get, provide you like a life raft until you really get your feet wet and start talking to the other teachers who already have experience with those areas. But that's where some of those alts or teeter- teachers really have their strengths, and there could be a great back-and-forth collaborative thing there. Yeah. I think those are great points, and this, this conversation of alternative or, or traditional or from a farm or not a farm or from urban or I was in ag or I wasn't in ag or whatever that means... I think just knowing that if you're listening to this podcast and you're alternatively certified, we are really excited that you're in the profession. And, Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, like what you're saying, Kate, it, we fill all three of those areas of need with different types of certification. So it actually can create some balance. And so, you know, if any of our recruiters hear this and hear that, like us as teacher educators are like, you don't really, (laughs) there are other ways, like. But if you do decide to go traditional, you should probably look at the U of A. I'm just going to put that out there. It's really valuable. You didn't let Mike say that commercial his commercial was free. You didn't let Mike say his value thing. Because well, you're selling your program. I had you for a second. Done. We'll wait till the commercial's over. The commercial's <laughs> over. And we're back at the podcast. Thank you to our sponsor, University of Podunk, Arkansas. Oh! That was actually on our agenda today. Like it says... Record this at our retreat, and then at the bottom it says, location, Podunk, Arkansas. <laughs> and we found it. Yeah, we found it. Right so, Mike, what's your thoughts? Oh, I would just echo some of the things that uh, Brian said, and, and where my mind goes is thinking about the onboarding of, of those teachers, and and I think it goes back to identifying what their strengths and weaknesses are and all those buckets that, that you've been talking about, Marshall, but also having uh, support systems, whether they're formal or informal, so the mentoring pieces and uh, and making sure that they feel part of that profession and, and part of that, that district and, and, and being engaged from that standpoint. We can't, can't necessarily forget about them because they're different and they were trained different than what we were. Mm-hmm. Traditional or alternative certification? I think the answer is yes. Yeah. <laughs> we're glad you're here. We're happy you guys are engaged. We all have needs. <laughs> <laughs> we're all needy. <laughs> needy so we're just glad that we're engaged in the best profession in the world well good conversation and we thank the researchers who kind of brought this to light for us um that kind of research really helps us think about things that we haven't thought about prior so for today that is it hopefully this has sparked some conversations if you connected with anything about this podcast just go to owl pellets for ag um, on facebook or wood wordpress and connect with us we'd love to hear your conversations about this And with that, we wrap it up. Thanks for joining. Bye, y'all. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Owl Pellets. Please visit our webpage for more information on this topic and to learn more about all of our guests. Be sure to follow Owl Pellets on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. It would also be great for you to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. Also, we ask that you please take a moment and comment on our podcast so others can find it as well. So for Kate, Marshall, and Mike, this is Brian here by the Owl Pellet saying thank you, and we look forward to seeing you again on another episode of Owl Pellets, Tips for Ag Teachers.